0: Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. This week in cricket time, we're going to talk the second test of the series at the Basin Reserve. We'll talk a little bit about the women's World Cup final and a very, very brief word or two about the next test match in this India-Australia series coming up or coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, in typical Top Order Podcast style, we've got to come to the victor to claim his spoils first. Stu resplendent in his um, New Zealand themed, what is it, 1992 replica World Cup shirt with a top order across uh, the middle, grey, um, the grey brigade, I suppose. But Lippy, thoughts on an enthralling second test at the Basin Reserve?
1: Oh, I mean, it was awesome, wasn't it? I mean, Wags, Wags, he's back, he's back. We, everyone was doubting him, including me. I think I, I sent, uh, I printed out a. A Slack channel message that I sent at, I've got it here, 2.07pm, and saying, uh, it pains me greatly to say this, but I think Neil Wagner only bowling six overs in the second inning says a lot. At his best, it would have been impossible to get the ball out of hands in, his hands in this type of situation. And then there might be another message at about 10 past four saying, this might well be my finest work ever, I'm so happy for Wags. And... Uh, Look, I know you kind of joke about. Uh, I think you made a joke on on Twitter about you know putting the moles on England and and all that kind of stuff. But I genuinely did think at you know yesterday's the end of yesterday's play, two hundred and fifty eight, I think it was was the target. I kind of thought the way England's playing, they'll just cruise this. They'll do it four or five down, and and I yeah, I just thought that's the kind of cricket that they've been going, and sort of how bizarre it is that. 12 months ago we would have said oh 250 on the fourth innings of a test that's a really challenging total but England's just been making a mockery of those totals for, for this whole sort of Stokes-McCullum era but I don't know the, the ebbs and flows of today I suppose in, in gen- just talking about this one day were, were fascinating I know there's been ebbs and flows in the whole test match but even just today with 80 for 5 and then moving on to what happened at, at the end of the game was I mean look it's just a tremendous game
2: Fantastic advertisement for Test cricket, wasn't it? I mean, we got the best out of Test cricket across this whole Test match. We got stacks of records. We got a whole bunch of firsts in this series as well. I mean, a whole bunch of firsts in the first Test as well. Uh, Kane Williamson now going past uh, Ross Taylor to be the highest run scorer for New Zealand. Yeah, very cool. A whole bunch of records falling in terms of, you know, the outcome of the game. But it was just a fantastic advertisement for the test match in that both sides were in and out of that game so many different times over the course of the five days, and we got a result late on day five where both teams were, you know, within the barest of margins of, of of winning the match. Well, it is, right? I mean, there's only ever been two test matches that have been tied as far as I can remember and two test matches now decided by a single run and New Zealand have been involved in this one at the Basin Reserve and also become only the fourth team to win having been forced to follow on in the test match. So, you know, in terms of the, the the not the momentous nature of the occasion, but it, it, it is a big deal, this test match. It's a huge deal.
1: Oh, yeah. And I mean, Binksy, I, I, was, um, I was following on at, at work watching the crick info kind of just sitting there doing my work you know i've got an office job it's very quiet in my office i was sitting there just will, looking at half of my screen willing a red w to pop up on the screen it's a pretty horrible way to kind of follow a test but we were going well so i didn't want to put the earphones in and, and listen were you were you watching live how how were you viewing the last stages of that game
0: yeah so look i was um yeah look i had my ipad on in the background with, with the cricket so i was kind of Checking in and watching the odd delivery, the sound was yeah, sound was off. Um, but yeah, kind of saw the you know the final stages of the game unfold. I think to after you know Bordy's comments around, if I guess the rarity of this kind of situation in a test cricket in um, a, a, a test cricket in perspective. I think the other component here is New Zealand have won a game following on that happens you know extremely rarely. I think that you know the last one that springs to memory. From from uh, my cricket watching is uh, India Australia I think um, back in the early two thousands there might have been another one uh, since then so so look I think um, definitely for me really focusing on the uh, the New Zealand you know, the New Zealand victory um, in this and and look I, I really don't know where I sit you know the seven stages of grief right. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't think I'm particularly shocked um, because England have been playing this brand of cricket where um, I think you've got to be prepared for that series of shock. And other than probably questioning a couple of look, the umpiring decisions, I, I, and I said this on the Slack channel, and this is not Sarah Grapes. I, I do think that um, there are you know three or four deliveries that the England batsman would have needed a stepladder, a broom and probably some kind of harness suspended from the, you know, the stand at the base in reserve in order to try and reach a couple of those bouncers in the final over. So, you know, I think there's got to be something done around that because it's clearly a tactic in terms of getting someone on or off strike, um, you know, really hiding the ball with, you know, a delivery that is, you know, ultimately un- unplayable. But I can't even really say that that's a, a, you know, a period of denial for me. I'm not angry. I'm not going to bargain over this too much, you um, um, and I'm definitely not going to be depressed because I think at the end of the day we're now what 10 wins from 12 Test matches. I'll take those um, odds um, anyway. Any I suppose the only piece that you know gives me a little bit of grief about this whole um, whole situation is that the test match series is over. Mm-hmm. It's a two test series. and you know, how good would it be for, for this to go into a decider? And I think a lot of you know the old purists would say, well, You don't always know that you're going to get a result in an odd-numbered test series. Mm. I think in this day and age, more often than not, you are. Mm. So look, I definitely think um, this is leaving the fans wanting more. I'm sure we're going to go off and play some meaningless one-dayers in the next (laughs) week or so. Um, So yeah, look, I'd have loved to have seen a, a deciding test match to this series which has been absolutely sensational viewing
2: yeah great great advertisement for three test series even down in New Zealand where we traditionally we only get two test we hardly, series right, we at, at the best of times yeah. Um, so yeah you know all, all of the monetary costs of of two New Zealand cricket of putting on test matches this was an absolute show we we New Zealand fans deserve three test series in New Zealand at home. I mean, they really do. They deserve a, a three or a five test summer if, if New Zealand can fashion a three and a two as opposed to just a two and a two, which which is our diet for the last few years. Well, I, you could see even with uh, even McCullum and Stokes. I mean,
1: you know, Binksy talked about it there, you know, not feeling too downhearted. And, and I think, uh, you know, they're always going to put on a brave face, probably both of those two, you know, two of the more positive characters around. But... McCullum was smiling at the end of the game, and mm. when he was, I mean, I, I suppose he's got strong connections to a lot of those New Zealand players. But I think he appreciates, right? It was, it was a great game, and and New Zealand New Zealand would have been incredibly disappointed. And I think if New Zealand had come away from this series, you know, two 0 lost the series, there's there's a lot more on that. You know, three days in, I was saying to you before, you know, writing my notes after three days of this Test match. The framing of a lot of what we're going to talk about now was was very different, and I think we might we should probably come back to that because I don't know that all of those questions have sort of gone away with with what's just happened. But mm. yeah, I mean, just just a fabulous fabulous way to to end a game. And, and look, Baldy, I'll throw it back to you because we did have a question on on Twitter around uh, uh, you know the the magnitude, I suppose, of this test match. And Mark Allen Hooper asks, you know just read that this is the second test match to be won by one run plus only the fourth win by a team that has followed on do you think that simply because of those facts this has to be the best test of all time and, and I will ch- shift that to you know one of the best tests of all time because I, I think it's you know mm. very hard to sort of say that anything is the best test of all time especially when you've
2: got your own little biases Mm. I mean for context if you think about the candidates for the best test of all time you've got the tide test in the West Indies in Australia in 1960-61 first ever tide test Um, the India test where they came um, in 2001 Lakshman and Dravid 274 deficit in the first innings followed on won that test match of course the famous England test 1981 500 to 1 Just in terms of that test match, I wanted to touch on that test match for a second because the deficit in that test match at the first innings for England in 1981 was 227, right? England were 227 behind in that first test. New Zealand in this test match following on were 226 behind. Mm. So from a comeback perspective, New Zealand have done effectively the equivalent of what England did Uh, to Australia in 1981 in terms of winning from that margin behind. So if you want to talk about momentous occasions and great comebacks, etc., then this has got to be right up there. The only shame of it is really is that from a World Test Championship standpoint, there's nothing on this game because these tests are a bilateral agreement rather than a World Test Championship agreement. Um, So, you know, that's that's the real challenge that we've got, uh, unfortunately, in terms of being able to rank it from an important standpoint. But, you know, if you just have a look at the... The, like the, the, the sheer numbers, the, the sheer confluence of unlikely things that have kind of never happened in Test cricket before or rarely happened in Test cricket, all happening together in the one match, you kind of have to look at it and go, this is pretty special, whatever you think about the result.
1: Yeah, and Bixie, and because I want to I touch on a few of the moments, and I think I do think this is a test that, certainly from a New Zealand perspective we'll probably be thinking about in 10 years time it's you know like you said there's sort of nothing on it in terms of what it actually means for the greater uh, you know outlook for for New Zealand cricket although you know you could argue that we really needed this win so it was a very important win for us in that context but I think uh, again it sort of delivered on on all of the key moments and all of the key people and I, I think one person I want to highlight and, and come back to you Binksy is, is Joe Root because when we talked about when, when we were at the Bay Oval, I think a lot of our conversation was around m- sort of marvelling at this English, you know, revolution or whatever you want to call it, whatever they've been doing and the positive way they've been playing cricket. We said, where's the line? You know, where is this line of that they've got to find? And I, I think in this test, Joe Root absolutely found that line and played two magnificent innings. and. You know, if you think back to that first test, the ways he got out, reverse sweeping twice. And, uh, you know, he's played some of those shots in this game. It wasn't like he's, you know, even after that, the way he got out in those game that first test, he sort of came out and said, oh, look, you know, I'm still going to play that shot. I th- I'm good at that shot. I'm not going to stop playing it, but I'm going to think of a little bit about more about what I do. But he sort of showed in this test that he can just bat how he wants to bat. He hmm. doesn't have to go out and smash it. And, you yeah, know, I just thought it was a, a tremendous... A, tremendous performance from him and that's you know might get lost a little bit but bingsy i think that's got to be super encouraging for for england's test cricket going forward that he might have found that line and be able to push it right to the limit now
0: yeah well look i think it was a tale of two of the you know what were called the big four batters weren't they williamson root coley and, and steve smith and question marks about their form for slightly different reasons Joe Roots has really been around, you know, probably just a little bit of a drop off from the excellent form he had in 2021, just before he gave up the captaincy, an England side that was, you know, pretty piss poor. And he was the only one really flying the flag. And then he's struggled is the wrong word, but I think he's been trying to sort of get himself into this um, phenomenon of playing cricket the way that England want to play. And Kane Williamson, some serious question marks around, you know, his, his form. Um, I've got to, you know, I've got to say that if ever there was an occasion for a, a member of the losing team to have won man of the match, um, Joe Root's got to be probably up there with one of the unluckiest, um, mm. 150 um, unbeaten in the first innings, and very nearly, you know, uh, uh, another match-winning uh, innings, at 95 in that um, in that second innings. And look, there's other people that could clearly claim that um, award as well. Um, but yeah i think kane williamson getting the, the you know the bottle of verve clico or whatever it is um these days but look very very pleased for yeah very very pleased for for both of those characters because i think they're both um probably unfairly talked about as traditional or conventional um test match cricketers when actually when you look at particularly the way that that some of their form translates into white ball cricket. We've talked a little bit about why Joe Root um, is missing in that um, England white ball side at times. You know, he he averages over 50 in one-day cricket. Um, He's got his first IPL, or not his first IPL gig, but an IPL gig uh, for this next instance of the tournament. And, you know, I think that they are fantastic players in the modern era. Um, And both of them have shown that that kind of game plan and tempo can can really really work. I do just want to pick up really quickly on the kind of greatest Test comments that you were making. Um, Edge Baston two thousand and five for me um, is you know certainly the, the you know the greatest Test that I have watched. And that includes watching some of the highlights of those you know nineteen eighty one Headingly etc. Because that Test match ebbed and flowed for uh, for five days. It was literally like the first the last thirty minutes of this Test. For the whole of the Test match. Mm. Whereas I think as exciting as the climax of this Test match was, um, Lippi, you you know, you said yourself, really until the, you know, the closing moments, I don't think you ever thought that New Zealand were, you know, truly in the game. And I don't know whether that was a bit of kidology to try and put the Moz on England. But (laughs) if you look at the close of play scores on each day, um, I don't think you had that same ebb and flow as some of those other games where, Mm. um, yes, that heading league, um, both them test match turned on a you know a sixpence with a swashbuckling innings but um, yeah th- this test really kind of almost sort of got to the stage where it was a foregone conclusion and then it wasn't um, so yeah for, for me probably not quite up there with uh, some of those ones that you've talked about but still a fantastic um, advertisement the final thing I'll just say I saw the footage after the game of McCullum, you know smiling and laughing and joking with some of his former teammates and, and friends I really, really hope the English press don't make anything out of that as they're prone to do. Mm. Um, You know, England 10 wins out of 11. Now it's 10 out of 12 and a Kiwi coach who seems to be, you know, happy with a a tight loss. Um, I really hope the red tops don't uh, don't turn on him. I don't think they will, um, but I wouldn't put it past some um, aspiring headline writer at the Sun or the Mirror uh, to come up with something preposterous overnight.
2: And, and, that, and if they do, it just shows how little they know about the psyche and the ethos of this England side, right? They are prepared to risk everything to lose a test match in order to win a test match. And unfortunately for England in this scenario, they've come up against a situation where they've unfortunately lost a test, but they gave everything in their power. They gave themselves every opportunity to win the test and they can hold their heads high at the end of it. You're not going to win every test playing this way. You're not going to win every test playing any style of cricket yeah. So to, you know, to, to go out on the field afterwards and, and look like you've just eaten a sour lemon And to look really down in the mouth And really upset at your team You, you, you can't really play that brand of cricket And then take that attitude So you know, if, the red, if the Red Tops do take that attitude It will show everybody for, for once and for all How little they know about the game of test cricket
1: and um i I think i don't know what um i couldn't bring myself to listen to the episode you guys recorded last week without without me but um i don't know if you did talk about we were talking at the bay oval about mccullum and and just about that the side that when you when you watched them warm up you guys met i think one of you guys called him the facilitator of fun and you know it was absolutely rings true when i look at that side they i mean Maybe they did. Maybe that some of them didn't look like they were having that much fun when they were bowling overs 140 or whatever it was, and uh, you know, in that fourth day, you know, third or fourth days, kind of toiling out there in in the in the Wellington wind. But you know, I, I think you'd look at that side and see. How much fun they're having, how much positive energy they're bringing, and the performances that it's bringing out of them. So yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think there's anything to be con- too concerned about. I do want to go back a little bit to Kane and just give him a shout out. mainly, you know, you guys mentioned he, he's the leading run scorer for in Test for New Zealand, you know, a huge milestone for obviously for our cricket. I, I think I've said it before. I think he's going to go down as our greatest batter. I, I think you'd pro- personally would probably already say that this this again cements that for me and and it's bizarre how quickly people turn on on anyone really but like the, the the greatest batter that we have and people are people are forgetting that he scored a pile of runs in in Pakistan which was our last test series and then come to this he has a couple of failures and everyone's like oh Kane Williamson terribly out of form and and then he just went about it in the exact Kane kind of way that you know he wasn't bothered by anything that anything you know that, the, even really the game scenario he assessed the situation and went we just need to bat here mm-hmm. we just need to bat for as mm-hmm. long as we can and these other guys can come in and bat around me but if I'm here we'll end up with a good score that England have to actually work to chase down We, you know regardless of whether they're going to come out and smash whatever and I'm going to get us into a situation where we've got a chance to win this game and then you know that's sort of how he went about his his whole captaincy tenure for New Zealand Mm -hmm. let's get into a situation where we can win the game and and be in that position to win it so yeah very 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 impressed with, with what he did and uh yeah, I I, look, I just hope it's I just hope there's a lot more to come for him because I think there's there's been a lot of situations where we've been looking at him in the field and people have been going oh look he's stuck on the boundary he's not having a good time, everyone's reading into everything about every part of New Zealand cricket and I guess that's what happens when you start having a little downturn from where you know let's face it we were at at the peak of our test cricket we were we'd won the world test championship we were winning over and over again and. Everyone's going to be looking for us to get back to there and it it doesn't quite work as easily to do that all the time.
2: I mean, people say that. However, this is now the 11th series on the trot at home for New Zealand to go undefeated. So a 1-all series result here mirrors the 1-all series results last year against South Africa and Bangladesh. That's now 11 straight series at home, New Zealand undefeated goes back to 2017, I think maybe against South Africa from memory or someone like that, mm. where, in- uh, where New Zealand last lost a test series at home. So that record now is stretching over six summers here in New Zealand. So, you know, while the results have been up and down, they're still undefeated from a serious perspective here at home against England, and now they look forward to a Sri Lankan side, which I would expect New Zealand would be thinking in their heads, OK, we've come through this really stern test against England. And now we're ready. We're battle hardened for this for this upcoming series against uh, against Sri Lanka.
1: And, and I I want to come to a little bit of that and get your guys' perspective on I I guess what New Zealand might do in that series. But a couple of quick points I want to make and, and I guess throw back to Binksy actually for one of them is uh, on this game and and uh, and I, I suppose the series as a whole. Raj made a point to me. I, I did talk to him. He's obviously not on the, the call before. He raised a very good point about Jimmy Anderson and that final dismissal and not reviewing that dismissal and uh, and basically just saying that that was an awesome thing to do because every other, you know, so many situations where it's the last wicket of a game, Mm. amazing moment, and then everyone has to review and you have to sit there and you have to watch and you have to, you know, wait for three minutes for Mm -hmm. Snicko to come up and all of that kind of stuff. Jimmy Anderson knew that he hit it and he just, I mean, he was upset obviously, but didn't, you know, go through that process, mm-hmm. just went, okay, New Zealand, you have this moment. Whether that even crossed his mind, who knows? But very, very cool that he did that. And Binksy, I I want your views on on how much you enjoyed this test. And I and I think this whole series from a wicket keeping point of view, because I think both sides actually uh you saw Blundell up to the stumps to the seamers this uh this last innings for New Zealand. Folks has done it. Was doing it in in uh, Bay Oval and now did it again at, at the Basin. Tremendous work from from both keepers and I, I think you know in their own different ways showed us what tremendous players they are. And, and I you know we I think we've talked a little bit about Folks and and how his position is maybe in jeopardy even though he's he's put in a tremendous performance and I'm sure he'll be very disappointed with the way he went out. But he's been steady as a rock I think with the bat and you know just tremendous with the gloves.
0: Yeah, look, I couldn't agree more with your comments. I think probably Zach Crawley's struggles at the top of the order through this series of, uh, look, I I was going to say a hope, given folks, you know, another series. Um, I don't quite probably mean that, but I think that that's probably opened the door for for folks to keep his place and Zach Crawley maybe to be the guy that makes way for Johnny Bairstow coming back into that side. What they'll do in terms of whether Bairstow will open the batting or they might... Um, push Ollie Pope or maybe Stuart Broad to the top of the order um, in a sort of a, a reprisal of his Nighthawk role. I don't know. You never know with this England side as to what they might do. <laughs> but yeah, for, from a keeping perspective, and this will sound really, really stupid. I think if um, folks that have got 40 not out and got England home, he was actually a shout for man of the match because. Um, and, and hear me out on this. And. Um, the stump, oh sorry, the, the catch down the leg side is a tough thing to do, and um, it was a little nick, but you know, at the end of the day, he's standing up to the stumps to Robinson and Anderson and Broad, which is no mean feat. And I don't know whether this has been kind of picked up, but that run out as well of Michael Bracewell, that was a key part, knowing exactly what he was doing. If you watched, um, he was disinterested in the ball coming in, or appeared to be disinterested in the ball coming in, and then at the last minute he woke up and took the bales off he was just trying to kid Bracewell that he was in no danger and he didn't need to run his bat in Um, and look I have to say as well a good uh, good use of the review system or the you know going to check upstairs because it would have been pretty easy for Rod Tucker to go oh he's well past the line here there's no problem Um, but he's gone up and you know we've caught a bat not grounded and and two feet in the air but yeah look Blundell's stock's definitely gone up uh, massively. Um, and for me, folks, this has as well with his keeping and his batting in this, in this series so far. And
1: look, I, I, I have some thoughts about this, but um, we'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you guys because I'm really keen to get your perspective first. We did have a, a, a question mainly focused on that Sri Lanka series. So Jason Ray on Twitter has come up, to, come up to us and said, do you think the squad for the Sri Lankan series will be majorly different with that result? I think Wagner was playing his last test before today's bowling performance. Bracewell can't be the lead spinner, and what do we do with the middle order? Conway is also under an injury cloud now. The Conway one, yeah, the next couple of days will be quite interesting to see there because uh, yeah, they said that it was precautionary that he didn't play today or didn't take the field today. So hopefully that is the case. And um, you know, it sort of dawned on me that that Sri Lanka series actually starts in le- you know just over a week. I think it's on the 9th of March as the first test down down at Hagley so yeah very interesting to kind of see ha- like he'll have to be if he's got a groin strain then you know you would think that that might keep him out for, for at least that first test but mm. I, I, what what do you guys think Bordie, I'll come to you first and mm. well one one Wagner let's have the Wagner conversation because uh, it's so hard to like watching him take wickets is just such a special like I, I can't can't really describe how awesome it is as a New Zealand fan to just see him charging off and celebrating and fist pumping and, and when he's in that mode, you know, I, I said it in my message that I repeated, you know, that I sent to our Slack channel that he is that sort of talisman that when, you know, when we're pushing for a win and when he is at his best, you cannot get the ball out of his hands but in this series, and you know, I know that he's actually taken the most wickets for New Zealand in this series. But Harry Brook in particular made him look. It ma- he made him look. A, he made him look slow, a step too slow, and he made him look very predictable and one-dimensional, which people have been saying about Neil Wagner for a long time. But it's actually worked, and in this final innings, it did work. He ran in and bowled those bumpers, and he got, got the key Stokes wickets. Got and Stokes root. root. The, the key wickets in the game when it looked like they had got themselves into a situation where they were just going to cruise in, mm-hmm. but. Like what? What do we do with with Wagner now? Is, is he? I mean, I, I, I don't want to go as far as to say has he saved his test career, but like, are we now still looking for whether this can work against Sri Lanka, or or are
2: we like, okay, Neil Wagner's back, he's fine now. Okay, so there's a there's a there's a lot to unpack there, right? You know, has he played his last test prior to today? I don't think the New Zealand selectors would have would have seen it that way. I don't think that Neil Wagner has done anything different in this test series than he's done in the last five test series. The difference is, England approached his bowling in such a way that they nullified his effectiveness right they had a plan for Neil Wagner now it just so happened that in that first test there wasn't a Matt Henry at the other end who provided a point of difference in New Zealand's attack Matt Henry's inclusion in this test his statistics notwithstanding provided New Zealand with a completely different look and feel to their bowling attack and allowed Neil Wagner to be the point of difference rather than the strike bowler that New Zealand needed in the first test but didn't quite have so from that point of view if you have a look at the balance of their attack going forward Neil Wagner is absolutely a part of that if it's Southie Wagner Henry and somebody whoever you want to pick in that in that spot whether it's a fourth seamer or whether it's bracewall or another spinner that's enough variation from that point of view, particularly against, I think New Zealand will fancy their chances against that, that um, Sri Lankan batting lineup to go in with four bowlers. And then with a little bit of Daryl Mitchell to do some tidy up stuff. He wasn't particularly effective against England in this test match. Again, England had great plans for the fifth bowler, tried to take him out of the attack. Joe Root tried to take Bracewell out of the attack today. So they were really put under pressure. I don't think that changes anything from Neil Wagner's longevity point of view. Yes, he's closer to the end than the start, but I don't think that we need to have a Neil Wagner conversation like, you know, does he get two more tests? I think he's earned the right to say, I am not at my peak anymore, or I just cannot do the work that's needed of me to get to the level that I have been at for the last 10 years. I'm going to retire. He's, I think he's earned the right to be able to do that.
1: Binksy mm. Uh, Baldy just mentioned Bracewell before. I'm fascinated from a... I I think I've talked about him a lot in the last few months and and I've mainly talked about him in positive terms and and what I've been able to see from his development and and the fact that it is really hard to develop it, I think, at at international level. A lot of players have struggled with that. And he, you know, I know he's over 30, but the way his the way his skill set is developing, I think, is still quite early in that development. But I'm keen to get your view, as an outsider, I suppose, to look at him and think, like, what do he, when you look at him? Does he pose any threat with bat or ball? And also, like, what do you see his role in this New Zealand side? Because because I think that's a question that really does need answering to discover what he's actually going to be. In the long term, if or if he is a long term solution for New Zealand, in whatever role we decide that that he might be filling,
0: yeah. So look, I'll come on to Bracewell in a second. I think we've got to channel a little bit of Raj Reddy on this podcast. You know, um, he would say nothing is ever as bad um, or as good as it seems after one game of cricket, Um, and I think that that would be the mantra that you know the big fella would like us to have from a Neil Wagner (laughs) perspective. I'd just say that I kind of agree with the sentiment that has just come out with. The difference that I saw, though, in Neil Wagner is that maybe a year or 18 months ago, he was coming in and banging in that, you know, short-pitched short bowling um, at probably 130 ks. Um Today, it was closer to 120 k's with the keeper up to the stumps. And look, that was the case for a number of bowlers. Um, he's going to perform against Sri Lanka because... They're not going to like that approach and um, they might try and get after him. And um, I, I, it's really, really, you know, sad to say. But I think, in terms of going out on his own terms, I, I think that perhaps thinking about really where he felt going into this series um, is the answer that he wants to look for in himself. Because I, I think that those two tests against Sri Lanka, that might be the time to call it a day rather than go overseas and people I think now will be after him. Um, and, and that, and, and take that sort of Harry Brook approach. When it comes to Bracewell, I'll give you two words: Lippy, Ashley Giles. He, he reminds me a hell of a lot of Ashley Giles. Um, you look at Ashley Giles' statistics in Test cricket; they weren't sensational. You look at actually what he provided to that side when he had Hoggard and Harmerson, an emerging James Anderson, and a Freddie Flintoff. Uh, a Simon Jones through that really halcyon period for England um, and a guy that at seven or eight would offer you the ability to score a really really important 40 or 50 um, Ashley Giles I think famously 59 in that oval test match draw batted alongside Kevin Peterson um, and picked up the odd really really key wicket I'm pretty sure Ashley Giles the only guy to have Sachin Tendulkar stumped in test cricket um, you might want to check that as a stat but for me That's the kind of role that Michael Bracewell um, can play. If you concentrate and fixate on his stats, I think you're going to potentially want him out of the side. But I think if you look at the role that he can play in that side at seven or Mm. eight, um, and he's going to put in the odd um, match containing performance with the ball, and maybe the even more occasional match winning performance with the ball, that's the role he plays in that side. And I think you've probably found your answer for the next couple of years is how you get a spinner in the side in all conditions with this Black Caps team
2: yeah and I think that's the real key for Michael Bracewell to be able to stay in that New Zealand side is is regular contributions with the bat when it's really important the real sad outcome for Bracewell after this test match is that people are going to be looking at that run out dismissal and going well that's you know if, the, if, if that was you in club cricket land, you would expect to get demoted for the next game, really. I mean, if you were a premier cricketer or a reserve-grade cricketer and you got out like that on a Saturday, you would be looking at next week's selection team sheet or the, or the whiteboard outside the club rooms going, yeah, my name is one set over to the right at least. The next, the next, uh, the next Saturday. So yeah, Big
1: C. I think you're very kind giving giving folks the credit there. I, I'm sure that he does deserve some of the credit, but yeah, absolutely Brace, he does. Brace Brace, well. But Brace, that was Ooh.
2: a poor piece of cricket from Bracewell, and that's going to be the criticism of him is that he has to be or not not perfect, but because he he contributes in. In, in in little ways into the success of that New Zealand team at the moment, then everything that he does that is suboptimal is going to get that, that microscope scrutiny, right? You know, like Joe Root hitting him for 14 runs in the over the, um, today to really to, kind of try and take him out of the attack. You know, players will, other teams will go after Michael Bracewell and he's got to be able to hold his own and then, as Adam said, make little contributions and then hopefully for New Zealand, more frequently big contributions with bat and ball to be able to hold his place in that team. Otherwise, they might as well go back to a Rachin Ravindra or, you know, a full-time spinner in an Ajaz or an Ish Sodi.
1: Yeah, I do wonder if... I, I do wonder if we were in a better uh, mindset or, you know, more positive... Uh, results recently, whether we might have gone for Ish in in this test match or in this series at, at, across these games, and mm. and thinking and actually he scored some pretty handy runs for Canterbury this year. You know, did well in Pakistan with he the scored runs recently in
2: the in the last round of the Plunket Shield as well.
1: Yep, yep. And so scored yeah scored runs in Pakistan. You know, and the, the thing about Bracewell is that I think I've said it before. He you know, he guys talking about little contributions. He actually starts needs to actually start making those contributions because we 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 sort of see it. We get glimpses of it, but. Yeah, I, I do think that sort of every test now is is an op- is is an opportunity for sh- to show that he can contribute, even if it's like putting thirties together and picking up two wickets and things like that. He needs to make those contributions because yeah. even when you know people think about De and the way he, you know, he made some really tremendous performances and and you know sort of match turning, match winning situations. But I think what was key about him is he always found a way to kind of contribute and and put something on the board so yeah I I think it's a it's still going to be a big series for him against Sri Lanka the middle order quest part of that question I honestly have no idea because I I don't think Henry Nichols has really done enough to say you know yes I must be picked he sort of batted okay
0: and neither is Will Young though
1: no and and yeah neither is Will Young and and even well in in Will Young's defence, which I've said many times, he did get two absolute rippers uh, in this game. But um, but again, you've got the to take first,
0: the, fir- the first one wasn't a ripper, mate. The first one, if it had been forward, um, that would have been a pretty easy ball to, to defend. Um, but yeah, um, we have to say that there's a bit of insider trading potentially because he's got <laughs> the stock slipper.
1: Exactly, but yeah, I, I do think again, you've got to, you've got to take these opportunities because he hasn't had many these days. He's got to take it. And, you know, people are calling for Glenn Phillips. Glenn Phillips, in this latest Plunkett Shield game, has basically played two one-day innings. He's gone out and smashed 60-odd off, or scored a ball 60 in the first innings for Otago, then scored, I think, 47 off 28 balls or something in the in the second innings when they're chasing, you know, almost 400. They did end up kind of drawing that game because uh, of a massive Dean Foxcroft 100. Um, and, you know, Ratch and Ravindra scored 100 in that same game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I you know I, I do I I do think you know of what the selectors have done. We'll see a much we'll, we'll see. I, I don't even know if we'll see any changes for the squad uh, for Sri Lanka, given the fact that it's a short turnaround, mm. given the fact that they've just come off winning this test. I think if they'd lost, and you know as I'd said earlier, if they'd have if England had cruised this four or five down, I think we might we you know we would certainly be having a very different conversation right now and i think the selectors would have to be having you know important conversations about we've got two tests against sri lanka we're out of the world test championship this kind of means nothing we have to actually start to move forward and think about what we're going to do with our cricket you know should we start to think about blooding some other players but mm. i i think the win will have given them a, a, an opportunity to say actually maybe we're still the Fourth or fifth best test team in the world. We're quite, you know, we're not not that we're happy with that, but we're we're comfortable to go in with this group and and give them another opportunity. So yeah, yeah, who knows? But yeah, I, there, I, st- I still do think as we've discussed here, there are, as as good as today was, there's still a lot of questions around mm-hmm. this New Zealand test side and and what we're going to be over the next couple of years.
0: Well, boys, that probably wraps up this segment for now. We will of course be back to talk about the culmination of uh, a summer that's not really got going from a weather perspective here in New Zealand. So look, hopefully we get uh, those couple of test matches in without too much more weather disruption. Definitely lucky that I think we dodged the rain at the basin uh, and got a full game in at Taronga as well, because the, the forecast and the lead up to both those games wasn't particularly good. And um, let's move over to Cape Town. The Australian women's juggernaut just keeps going on. I've seen, uh, Descriptions that essentially are questioning whether this is the best team in world sport at the moment. And there can be few um, arguments about that. Mm. On the eve of the game, though, I think South African women's team almost felt they were defeated before they went in. Listen to the after-match um, press conference and uh, uh, when the South African women had beaten the England women in that semi-final. And I think even off the back of uh, 60-odd uh, and a man of the or a player of the match performance from Tasman Bridge, she was talking about how, um, you know, Australia hadn't been beaten for 67 years and (laughs) it was going to be almost impossible. And, you know, can you win? Well, we have to hope so. And so, yeah, if you're not taking confidence into a World Cup final, having um, had a pretty decent uh, semi-final victory, I don't know when you ever are going to go in with that level of confidence. But, um, border, you must be pleased as punch with your... uh, Your performance?
2: Oh, well, not my performance, but the the performance (laughs) of the Australian women's team. They're just a fantastic outfit, and they every time we have these tournaments, we talk about Australia being hot favourites, and then Australia at some point in the tournament get into trouble and look like they're a vulnerable side and look like they're going to get beaten. But somebody every single time, almost without fail, somebody stands up and has. A, a terrific innings, you know, takes the game um, by the scruff of the neck and, and takes the game away from the opposition and it was no different in this World Cup, you know Australia were under the pump against India in that semi final. They had a little bit of luck with the Humminprey Kerr run out. Yeah, and that, Michael Bracewell. That that, that changed. Well, Ker- cause was a little bit different in that her back got kind of stuck and she yes. wasn't able to ground it, as opposed to, uh, dare I say, a little bit of lazy cricket from Bracewell. Um, and I don't think he would disagree with that assessment. But, you know, Australia have just found a way to win. You know, every time Australia get into trouble, they find runs. In this case, you know, um, Ash Gardner and Beth Mooney. Um, you know, put together a, a terrific innings that Beth Mooney 50, I think now is set a world record for fifties in world cup finals or, or knockout games. I think wow. um, she's got malt. I think she's got three now in, in world cup finals, Beth Mooney, I, I may be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure that's right. And then despite, you know, Laura Wolfart's 61, Australia really looked like they were in control of that match for a lot of it. Um, and just their bowling attack. If you have a look top to bottom, the spinners did a terrific job. Um, you know, they, they, Every one of those bowlers for Australia you just can't say enough good words about them and we and we praise their batters heaps because their batters score a ton of runs but their bowlers invariably also do the job for Australia whether it's Jonathan or Georgia Wareham's had a really good tournament you know Gardner yeah, Schutt, nice Brown they all they're all just fantastic and the the only disappointing outcome from this whole tournament is that the Laureus sports awards are on very soon if not now and the australian women's team has not been nominated for sports team of the year despite winning six of the last eight tournaments making seven of the last eight finals haven't been defeated in a game other than their super over loss to india last year since 2021 it's just ridiculous how good they are and they and they're deserving of that of that nomination
1: I have to agree with everything you've said about the Aussie team. I think I said at the start of the tournament, it's hard to ever imagine them losing any game, let alone a, a tournament in its uh, in its entirety. But you know, I hate to bring things down, but I think this this World Cup opened up a few wounds in the in terms of the New Zealand women's cricket. I think there'd been a lot of a lot of positive signs that, that uh, you know with Ben Sawyer and you know some of the younger players we'd been bringing through there'd, there'd been some signs that things were were on the up we'd obviously won the the bronze at the Commonwealth Games and mm-hmm. you know we're starting to see some signs that maybe things are, are looking good but then you know similar-ish story here with uh, with this World Cup in terms of our batting you know rolled by South Africa rolled by Australia and you know all of the same conversations that keep coming up Amy Satterthwaite sitting at home not playing you know, we've got Lee Kasperik sitting at home, not playing, not wanted. Kate Abraham scoring runs in in the um, domestic game here. And all of those things and just thinking, like, what, you know, what what is going on? And, and even Sophie Devine, you know, sort of said stuff, you know, some of her quotes, I'll, I'll read from some of the things that she said, you know, I'm sure we're abs- we're going to absolutely dissect every part of this tournament and this campaign when we get back to New Zealand. And I think a big part of that's going to be our domestic game, she said. If I'm going to be brutally honest, I'm not sure how it's preparing us for international cricket. And you're seeing now, obviously, the WBBL, the 100, and the WPL, uh, the you know, the women's IPL. Mm-hmm. They're highly competitive tournaments and they're preparing players. And, look, you know, I, I think that just goes to show that, you know, even you look at the the, IP, the WIPL auction, I think only two players got picked up, Amelia Kerr and Sophie Devine. Sophie Devine, you know, wasn't it wasn't like... You know, there was a big uh, auction for for her, big bidding war. I think she got picked up for for her list price. So that's probably the the biggest sign I would say that New Zealand players are not in demand. Even Susie Bates, who's been a tremendous servant and played very well at this World Cup, scored a lot of runs. You know, no, not the the IPL sides are not even and looking at her for for those games. So, yeah, big questions, and these are these are not questions that haven't been asked before, but I, I think. Uh, in some ways I, I sort of I hope that you know this is not a rock bottom but you find these situations you can you can they can bring a lot of positive things so I hope that's the case here for, for New Zealand.
0: Bordy, let's move on very quickly a test match starting today Centurion Park South Africa West Indies but perhaps a more interest in your household at least is what's going to happen in indoor. I see your Australian meter already loading the pitch uh, excuses. It looks as if uh, the ends have been shaved bare again. There's a bit of green grass in the middle of the pitch, but uh, that might look a little bit different, um, certainly deader um, when the game starts. I guess bolstered by the fact it looks as if Mitchell Stark and Cameron Green are going to come back into contention, but Pat Cummins uh, staying at home. Um, to be with his mother, who uh, was taken ill, I think um, the back end of that third Test match. Mm. Um, what are you? What are you looking forward to, if anything, uh, for the culmination of this series?
2: Well, I'm looking forward to Australia having a different approach to their batting. They've already talked about their having the wrong approach to to the overuse of the sweep shot and the reverse sweep shot in um, in that second Test capitulation. Look, it's it's only really up here for Australia from a batting perspective. I'm really looking forward though to seeing what happens with the balance of their bowling attack, because Cameron Green being able to bat in the middle order and provide hopefully some, but not a lot of seam, is a good thing for the balance of their attack, because they can go in with Mitchell Stark and a couple of spinners. I would like to see Australia go, you know what? We're going to have two seam bowlers, We're going to have two genuine spin bowlers, whether that's Lyon and Murphy or Lyon and Kuhneman or Murphy and Kuhneman or whatever, you know, permutation of those three that you want to choose and then go, okay, well, if we need a little bit more part time, Travis Head is our option. Um, I, I like the look of that Australian attack, but I also wouldn't mind if they went with three spinners. But the the point of difference is going to be Mitchell Stark to be able to hopefully reverse swing the ball and also Cameron Green to provide a little bit of seam. The warning that I would give the Australians, and they already know this, I'm sure they already know this, is that if you overbowl Cameron Green, there's a chance that you're going to run him into the ground and he's going to get hurt. Um, so they need to find a balance in that attack where Cameron Green provides them something, but not... Thirty overs in each innings of the Test match because he'll just wear he'll bowl himself into the ground and Australia won't um, won't be able to use him going forward. Very interesting to see what happens with David Warner in this Test match. There's already rumblings that he may not play in the Ashes series. That this may be the swan song for David Warner. I don't think he'll see it that way. I think he'll see himself at as being at home, a, isn't he, with his injury. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so, so, he, well, so, yes. so he's, he's so not going to be there. Well, but. that's a good point. Actually, I'd forgotten that he'd gone home injured and isn't coming back because he has broken his elbow, hasn't he? Mm. So, yeah, okay, so Australia will need to really think about that. <laughs> I didn't think about that. I'd forgotten that he'd broken his elbow there far has, out.
1: There has been a lot of a lot of team news and, and, yeah, obviously thoughts with Pat Cummins. That's obviously not. Yeah, that's not cool. Not not a good situation at all, and um, you know, very cool. We were saying just before the recording, mm. very cool what the Barmy Army did for for him, and, and that was I, touching. And I saw that he even responded and and uh, and was very we very, very pleased by that. So so yeah, that that's pretty awesome. My my parting thoughts before this this test kicks off is, I don't know that the sides are that far apart. It, it might that might sound ridiculous, but it, the more I think about the way Australia was in that game and they were in it for long long periods. I don't think it's drastic to think that they could put together a performance that could win them a test mm. you know, I, I, they obviously not, like they can't come back and win well, they can come back and tie this series, they've already lost the Border Oscar trophy, but I think they, they can put in a competitive performance, I don't think that's beyond the realms of possibility, as good as Jadeja and Akshar are in their conditions, Ashwin those three I think really are the difference between these sides and you know if they can find a way to combat them which is incredibly difficult i think you know jadeja i pulled out some stats for him that i was going to pull out last week 189 wickets at an, an average of under 20 at home he has 10 5 fizz 2 10 from 38 tests at home mm. it, it's and you know you add that to almost 48 42 with the bat at home i mean you know those two things combined that's like you know we do our hall of fame that's like best plus minus ever kind of scenario so like he's an amazing amazing cricketer in general but at home you know very very special player and and you add Akshar and and Ashwin and yeah they've been the difference in this series so far if they can find some way and whether it's Ian Healy standing in front of a rubbish bin teaching them on Fox Sport how to how to play spin who knows but uh yeah, if they can find some way to combat that, then yeah. they can be in this in this in these last couple of games at least and make them interesting.
2: Well, the opening partnership has been huge for Australia in this series. When they've had good opening partnerships or partnerships at the top of the order, then they've been able to put in competitive scores. But you know, it seems to me that once the rot starts, it. it and, and Akshar and and Ravachandra and Ashwin just run through that Australian middle order and they've got to find a way of arresting that particularly in their second innings you're right they've been competitive in the first innings they've been diabolically uncompetitive in the second <laughs> innings against this Indian side and the Indian side are a good cricket team they're a really good cricket side you give them a sniff and they'll run away with it so you know I, I like me forgetting that David Warner was injured aside, the opening partnership is actually really, really important, whether they go with Head or whether they go with Renshaw or whether they've parachuted Cam Bancroft straight into the test side. These things are all going to be really, really impactful in terms of whether or not Australia can be competitive in both innings.
0: Awesome. So, guys, in summary, other than Axar Patel, who's got a <laughs> test average of 15, mm-hmm. Jadeja, who's got... 179 wickets at home at an average of under 18 mm-hmm. um, Ravi Chandra and Astrin will go down as one of the greatest soft spinners the sides are pretty close together <laughs> mm-hmm. leading into this at uh, the end of this series and Lippy I think the euphoria of the Basin Reserve this afternoon has deprived your brain of some <laughs> oxygen um, I, I, <laughs> look, I think that's probably time to leave it here on this episode of the Top Order Podcast we will be back next week of course to review the test match in indoor. We'll talk a little bit about um, uh, leading to that Sri Lanka New Zealand series and plenty more news using cricketing uh, interviews from around the globe as well on the top of the podcast. But for now, it is good night and good place from us all, all here in Auckland. We'll see you soon. Good night. <laughs>